If you're visiting, I want to welcome you. My name is Jose. I have the honor of serving as a lead pastor. And uh, here at Cypress Creek Church, we are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope you feel welcome in this place, no matter where you are in your faith journey. We have been in a book called Romans, and this morning we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to there. But first, a couple of things that are going on that I want to let you know about. Number one, our junior high students and our high school students, they have focus coming up in a couple of weeks, which is an exciting, awesome opportunity to gather. Many students learn about Jesus, and some students come to know Jesus for the first time and call them their Savior and their Lord. So let's be praying. And then there's also other opportunities that you can come alongside Tyler and the student ministry team driving, hosting kids, uh, students in your, in your home, uh, different things. So you can check that out on the ccc.guy. That's a website. So uh, we, we like to pull out our phones here at Cyprus. So put it, pull out your phone, put ccc.guy. That's a website. And on there, you'll see a lot of different links and goodies, including the sermon slides. So you can look as um, um, we're, we're doing the message here. A couple of other things, though. So we have Women's Encounter happening in April. It's uh, going to be here before we know it. So if you have not yet gone to Encounter, it's an incredible weekend. Men's uh, Encounter happened last semester. Women's Encounter is happening April 21st through the 23rd. It's a great weekend to get away and, and really come face to face from the stuff that sometimes hold us back from being the men, in this case, women that God wants us to be. So women, you won't want to miss that. And then Easter, Resurrection Sunday, will be here in a few weeks. Pretty wild. And uh, here's what I want to challenge us to do at Easter. Let's invite, invite, invite. Easter and Christmas are the two Sundays where people are most likely to say yes to coming to church. That is a fact. And so here at Cyprus, we do something a little different on Resurrection Sunday. Instead of a Easter Sunday message, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, but we also hear about how that is personal as we hear two real life stories of resurrection, of how God has brought us from death to life. And so it is an incredible opportunity to invite folks and to see what it is really about, uh, this whole Jesus thing. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, third annual helicopter Easter egg drop will happen again. Don't worry. I know. I know you were worried about that. And so uh, it's fun to not only celebrate uh, Jesus here, but, but have some fun for the kids and the community as well. I like to say that I also rise on Easter as I go up on that helicopter to uh, drop, drop those eggs. I know that's corny, but it's, fun, but it's a lot of fun. So um, anyway, that's happening Easter Sunday. Let's invite, invite. We are going to take a, a little bit of a break when we get to that point as we really close out this incredible book that Paul wrote to this church in Rome around 57 AD. And now we're looking at chapter seven. But before we go to that, let's look at where we've been. Let's recap this letter to the Romans in chapter one, verses one through 17. We looked at what it looks like to live unashamed, to both know this gospel message and also be transformed, be changed by it. We looked at these verses in Romans 16 and 17. Those are our theme verses. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel 
gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So he's speaking to both the Gentile believers in Rome and the Jewish believers in Rome. This morning in chapter 7, we're going to look at the law that the Jewish believers were asking the question, what do we do now with the law, but let's continue recapping in verse 18 of chapter 1 through 320. We looked at the problem of sin, how it takes us, how it steals us away from God and leads us to the opposite of the life that God wants us to give us. It leads us to death. It holds the truth back. It deprives us of our identity, who God says we are, and it moves us into a place of judgment. And then we looked at how we can grow in faithfulness in chapters three and four, how to read his word, receive his righteousness, and uh, reflect on his redemption, restart, keep the faith. Uh, Sean spoke to us on chapter five, the security that we have in Jesus, that we have been justified, that, that we have been declared not guilty, that even though our track record is long, he's erased it. That's what Jesus has done for us due to his life, death, and resurrection. And last week, we looked at that. Now the life that we live doesn't only change our schedules and our calendars on Sunday, but it changes our entire lives. We looked at this picture of baptism, how we are joined together in his death and joined together in his resurrection. We've been set free from sin. We have a new purpose, and we are no longer slaves to sin, but to God, which again leads us to chapter 7. We're talking about the law, and it got me thinking, after a semester in college, I would take my textbook that I spent a lot of money on, and then I'd go straight either to the dumpster, or better yet, to resell it and get like $2 back. <laughs> You know, and, and I, I would go so far as to take my notes and, and we would do bonfires with our friends and then we would use it as kindling and we would burn our notes and we would celebrate that we were free from that class that maybe hopefully we passed and uh, wouldn't have to take that again. Have you ever done that? Well, that, that, that's the question that Paul is writing in answer to. Now that we have been justified by faith, now that the law has been fulfilled through the person of Jesus, he only can fulfill the requirements of the laws. Should we go ahead and do that with the law as well? What is the law? The law was the five first books of the Bible called the Torah in uh, Judaism. And those five books are 613 commandments plus a whole lot of other stuff that God is telling the nation that he just bought back from slavery, brought them into freedom, and it said, hey, now live this way. If you obey these commandments, you will be set apart. You will be holy, and you will become more like me. It was God's way back then of sanctification. Here was the problem. It didn't work. The law was good, but it didn't make us better. It actually made us worse. That's what Paul is talking about here in chapter 7. I'm giving us a preview. We'll dive in. We'll get three points, three questions to take home this morning. But the law cannot make us better. Only Jesus can. That is the sanctification process that we are now in. We don't need to worry about the rules. We need to be concerned about following Jesus instead of following 
a rule book. I grew up thinking that my faith was just a bunch of to-dos. Thanks be to God, I met Jesus, and that changed everything. And we will see how the gospel, when we filter the law through the gospel, it actually gives life. So I titled this message, Don't Throw away the book. Keep the book. Okay? Let's not throw away the Old Testament. You may read it. You may be, you may be very confused. What we need to do is we need to filter it through the gospel. Here's what happens when we uh, throw away the book. Let's see if I can get it right. I'm in Malachi. This is good enough. There you go. That's the New Testament. So this part is the New Testament, 27 books. And we have all of this richness and goodness in these 39 books in the Old Testament that point to the perfect one, the one who gave his life for us. Let's keep it. Let's read it. Let's wrestle with it so that we can understand it. And it will, again, make us better. Thanks be to Jesus, not our own efforts. Are you ready to dive into uh, chapter seven? All right. We're awake now. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this word that is true and uh, alive and active, and I pray that it would speak to our circumstances. I pray that it would energize us to follow after you, that it would show us your goodness, Jesus, that it would give us a greater appreciation of what you have done for us on that day when you died for us and the promise that you have given us of everlasting life. May this be true in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. This is what Paul says. Do, not, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law. So now he's, he's focusing on the Jewish part of the church in Rome. They're asking again, what do we do with this law? He's saying that the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives. And he's going to use a marriage illustration. And he's saying, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, again, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another Man, So Paul is making the point that the law is only binding when a husband and a wife are alive. If one passes away, then that law is no longer binding. And now he's going to connect it to the law, our relationship with the law. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another that is Jesus, to him who was raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for God. So we have died to the law and have now been raised to life through Jesus so that we can actually live for him. Verse five, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. We'll talk about that in a second so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written the first thing that the gospel teaches us when we filter the law through the gospel is that we have been released from the law so that we can live for God. 
That is good news. If you have read the law, if you have read Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, if you've read those commandments, you both know that they're really, really hard to keep. And worse yet, the consequences are incredibly harsh. What's the point? Again, the point is that there is no way that we can measure up. We deserve death, period. But God sent Jesus to fulfill the requirement, to satisfy the requirements and to fulfill the law so that we wouldn't have to bear the punishment of our disobedience. The law cannot make us better. Only Jesus can. We are released from the law and we can now live in the spirit. Jesus simplified, oh, not simplified. Jesus succinctly summarized, there you go, the law by having us focus in two, well, two sets of commandments, really three commandments found in Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Here's what they say. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He writes, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. The best sparks notes that have ever been written or cliff notes. If you remember those college students, now you have a lot of other resources, but back then you actually had to buy uh, a resource to summarize things. Anyway, Jesus did that for us here in the gospels. He's saying, Hey, it's about loving God and loving people. That's it. And then he says in Matthew 28, at the end of his life, right before he ascended into heaven, he said, Hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so his commandments, again, are summarized. All 613, what are they? Love God with all that you are. Love people the way that God loves you and loves them and make disciples of Jesus at this church. That is our mission statement to love God, to love people and to make disciples. We want to be focused in on what Jesus said we should be focused in the great commandment and the great commission. Still yet, we have this nature inside of us to create a list to check off instead of a relationship with God. What God is after is relationship, not religion. And we here at Cyprus, we're not a denominational church, so we can say that, that's not us. <laughs> not true. Any denomination has a religion that they can get trapped into. What is a religion? It is checking off the box. It is not living freely with God, trying to earn God's love instead of living because of God's love. And so a question for us, am I checking off boxes for God right now in my faith, whatever, whatever that looks like, or am I living freely with God, do I think that I have to do all of these things in order to be loved by God? Or am I like, man, God, you loved me. You know everything. You have forgiven me. I am running free because of your love for me. There's a difference in that. 
posture. And Paul here is saying, you've been released from the law to live for God. I want to quickly hit Galatians 5 because this passage talks about bearing fruit. It's really important. When we live freely for God, we're not just wandering out there, frolicking around the field. We're actually bearing fruit. We're being productive human beings here on earth. Here's what that looks like. In Galatians 5, Paul talks about this contrast. He says, if you are led by the Spirit in 5.18, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. This is the opposite of what fruit, uh, godly fruit looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what God's calling us to. Here is what being fruitful looks like. You guys know this, but it's important to read it in this context. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We talked about that last week, being baptized into his death. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another again. We have been released. Isn't that good news, somebody, this morning? We've been released from the requirements of the law to freely live for God. Maybe for you, this is the first time that you hear this difference between a, a, a religion, a rule-keeping, versus a relationship that God's inviting us into. Let's keep reading, because by this point, we can, say, uh, we can still do away with the old. What shall we say then in verse 7 of Romans 7? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would have not known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Here's the second point. I'm going to keep reading, but I want to hit the second point. Uh, when we look at the law through the filter of the gospel, we see that uh, we can recognize and reveal sin's insidious nature. That's what the gospel does. It recognizes and it reveals the insidiousness. That's a word that means it lurks in the darkness, it festers, and it grows. If sin is left alone, it always destroys. Contrary to that is shining a spotlight, which is what Paul is doing here through coveting. Let's talk about this coveting. Verse Eight, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. So what he's saying is that first he heard the commandment, you shall not covet. Then he started thinking about it, and he got creative. And he started thinking about all these other ways that he can covet and disobey God's commandment. Once I was alive, verse 9, uh, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So the problem is not with the law. The problem is not with the commandment. So did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as 
sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So sin took something that is holy and good, which is the law. It perverted it and it made it further evil. Whoa. That is how insidious sin is. And uh, if you've parented any kids, you know what I'm talking about. When you tell somebody that, hey, you shouldn't do that, what, what, what do your kids immediately do? They want to do just that. When you tell them, hey, stop asking, you know, or, or don't take this from your sibling, man, they just go straight there. It's human nature. It's nothing against little kids, but I do want to share a story. I was uh, with my kids one Saturday morning. My wife uh, was, was away for, for a moment, and, and then uh, I told the kids not to draw on their face. And what do they do? There's one, but he wasn't alone. Good company corrupts good character, says the Bible. And look at that. Or bad company corrupts good character. There you go. Both of them, like mugshots. I mean, unbelievable. I took them not to show you all, to show my wife, but it worked in this case to, to show you guys. And then we washed up, and here's the resolution. I told them about repentance and the washing of sin, and, and they got it, and they were baptized. Right? No, I'm just kidding. They weren't. Not yet, but hopefully, hopefully one day. Sin is insidious when we are little and when we are old. Paul's talking about this sin of coveting. It's interesting. In the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments in Exodus, again, God gave us one commandment at the beginning. Do not eat from that tree. What do we do? We eat from the tree. And, and then he gives us Ten Commandments, and, and what do we do? We break, we break all of them. And then he gives us 613, and we break all of those too. I mean, sin is insidious. In these Ten Commandments, the first four talk about our vertical relationship with God, Verse 5 talks about a relationship with our parents. Do, uh, you shall honor your father and mother. That's what I talked to them about that. You know, after that, I said, y'all need to honor me. And uh, anyway, still work. Uh, so the last four, or the last five, I'm sorry, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 are the social commandments when it talks about our relationship as humans. And Paul strikes the root one. Don't covet. Don't want something that somebody else has. Don't want something that you don't have, because he knows that when we covet, we tend to do the other four. What are those? Don't steal, right? What do we do when we don't have something that we want? We get creative and we steal. Uh, do not commit adultery. What happens when we don't get what we want sexually? We go look for it and we commit adultery. Don't murder we're stealing someone's life and don't lie. Again, stealing the truth. Paul is saying, man, this one sin coveting exploded and became all these other sins in his mind. Here's what the psalmist in uh, verse 19 writes about God's law. He's talking about how wonderful and how perfect God's law is. And then he, he comes to terms like Paul does vulnerably and, and humbly and says, man, I, I'm, I'm messed up. I need help. And, and so the psalmist writes this, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God is faithful to redeem us. And a question for you and for me this morning, am I willing to let God into the hidden places of my heart? See, we just don't know all of the ways that we transgress, that, that we take the cross for granted. But if we invite the Holy Spirit in, he will convict us and he will bring us right back to the cross 
not into shame, but unashamed, knowing that we are totally forgiven, fully redeemed. The gospel recognizes and reveals sin's insidious nature, to which Paul closes this chapter with an incredible ping-pong match. He just goes back and forth and back and forth, like this mind talk that we're about to enter into. So just fair warning, there's a lot of back and forth, back and forth. In verse 14, Paul writes, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, because Paul is writing this, he is most likely writing in the past sense, meaning before he really came to know Jesus, because otherwise he wouldn't say he he would be sold as a slave. But even though this happened before Paul was a Christian, we still struggle with sin in this way. Here is how. Verse 15, Paul says, "I, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is what? This sin, this insidious sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Paul's humility, Paul's conviction, Paul's vulnerability is so beautiful. Right here, the author, the apostle to this of this letter who, who is exhorting and encouraging and modeling what it looks like to be real, right? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He doesn't leave us hanging. Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to sin. Man, when we look at the law and we look at all the things that we can't do and we look inside in the insidious nature of our sin, we must remember that Jesus came to rescue us from the tyranny of sin. We are no longer bound by sin. We have been freed by Jesus. And it is a process called sanctification to become more like him. Anybody out there agree? Anybody out there feel that freedom from this tyranny of the back and forth and back and forth? Here's what I want to close by doing. I want to read 1 Corinthians 10 because Paul gives us some tools. When we find ourselves in temptation, once we are in Christ, totally forgiven, the truth is we still live in tension. We've been redeemed and we're still continuing to to be sanctified, to become more like Jesus. And so Paul writes directly to this point in 1 Corinthians 10. And he says this, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Pride comes before the fall. He's saying, hey, watch out, watch out. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Can we all say that together? God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 
Sometimes when we find ourselves in the ping pong battle, we, we submit to sin because we forget God's faithfulness. We think that we're alone. We, we, we heap shame on ourselves and we say, I'm, I'm too far gone. This verse says, no, no, no. God is right there with you. He's showing you a way out. Take the exit. Get on that right-hand lane and go. There is an acronym called HALT. And we find ourselves in temptation, in tension, in struggle a lot of times when we are hurting, when we are angry, when we are lonely, and when we are tired. Hurting can also be hungry because HALT is a popular, uh, it's true. I mean, if, if you go hungry, man, you get angry, but hangry is a thing, right? So <laughs> hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, or hurting, angry, lonely, and tired. What God is saying to us through this passage is, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm right there with you to, to, to help you endure it. And you can say, no, God is perfect. You said earlier, Jose, that I'm imperfect, but Hebrews chapter four, this is how I want to close, says, we do not have a high priest, and that's Jesus. Jesus was our high priest, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. The difference, he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our need. Last question. Am I aware of God's faithfulness in my times of need? When we find ourselves in that ping pong battle, two things. One, you're not alone. You're not alone. We all have lived through that to some degree. Our stories are different, but sin is the same. And more importantly, you're not alone. Jesus was tempted. And, and, and yet Jesus did not sin so that he can be the perfect sacrifice. In, in Leviticus, the, the blameless lamb, spotless lamb, so that he can die, he could die, so that our sins could be forgiven and covered so that we can have this relationship with God. I, I wonder... If you were to ask yourself right now, am I checking off boxes for God or living freely with God? Am I willing to let God into the hidden places of my heart? Am I aware of God's faithfulness in times of need? We're going to have prayer uh, available here on this side and on that side. This is the altar. It's available to, I'd love for us to close as, as we respond to God. Maybe it's a hidden place of sin that you feel compelled. You feel the Holy Spirit calling you to confess, to put it out in the light. Sin festers in the darkness, but it heals in the light. And we're here to do that with one another in this place. So I encourage you to not let this time go by. Maybe it's coming forward and kneeling as you posture yourself in the humility that Paul postured himself with. Let's pray together. We thank you, God, for the truth of your gospel message that you came to rescue and restore this broken world. You came for us. And Lord, maybe something struck us in this message where we understood that this message was personal. It's not a religion, but it's a relationship. And, and maybe we are now ready to say yes to you as our Savior, the one who forgave us of our sins, and as our Lord, the one who is master, the boss of our life. And if that's you, I encourage you to surrender your life to him this morning. 
Bible says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we are saved. We can say something like, Jesus, I fully surrender to you. I trust you with my life. And I accept what you've done for me. And I choose to live for you from today on in Jesus' name. And for those of us that have walked a little longer with you, Lord, I, I pray that, that we would have a sensitive heart to what you are speaking to us. Thank you that you have satisfied the requirements of the law and that we are now free.